It's a joy to be able to turn to the Word of God. I thought maybe just for the month of December leading up to Christmas, maybe we would just take a brief couple week break out of 1 John and turn our attention to the Word of God around the theme of Jesus Christ. Certainly we've been pushing that text and we'll launch into chapter 4 right as the, the year begins, but I thought it might be Again, appropriate just as we walk into this wonderful season for believers to to look at the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, the truth is that Scripture records some spectacular births, does it not? I mean, who could forget the, the birth of Isaac to barren Sarah, nearly 100 years old at the time of that birth? Or maybe even, as you remember back in the Old Testament, the womb of Manoah's barren wife was opened, and she gave birth to who? Samson, you remember that, who turned a lion inside out. He killed a thousand men, and he pulled down a pagan temple. He was an incredible man. Then you think of the birth of Samuel to the barren Hannah, whose womb the Lord had shut and reveal the divine power of our awesome God. Then as you get to the New Testament, you think of Elizabeth was barren, but through the power of God, she gave birth to John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said and that there had been no greater born among women than John. But of all the births, certainly, that have ever taken place, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ surpasses them all. The heavenly son became an earthly baby. It's incredible. Years ago, talk show host Larry King was asked, he was asked this question, this, if you could select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? And Larry King responded on national TV that he would like to interview Jesus Christ. And what the person talking to him asked, would you like to ask him? And King replied, I would like to ask him if indeed he was virgin born. And Larry King said that the answer to that question would define history for me. Is he virgin born? And King said, because if he is, that would define history for me. Well, let me take you and define history for us this morning. Because the Lord has provided us an answer in the scripture. And I want to take you over to Luke's gospel to Gabriel's birth announcement of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest birth announcement ever given. So take that Bible and look over in Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin picking up the text in verse 26. In fact, let me read it for you. Luke 1, 26, and I'm going to read here from the New American Standard Bible. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God." And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God bless the reading of the word of God. I want us to take a look at this passage, because in it... I see three declarations given by Gabriel regarding the miraculous birth of our Lord Jesus Christ that demand a response from us this morning, okay? Three declarations given by Gabriel surrounding the miraculous birth of our Lord that demand a response for us this morning. There's a divine messenger then there's a divine uh, mandate, and then I want to look thirdly at the divine miracle. But let's just walk through this text. First, the divine messenger. The divine messenger. Pick up the text in verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Stop there just for a moment. You might say in the sixth month of what? Well, clearly, if you read earlier in Luke chapter 1, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. In fact, glance down in Luke chapter 1, where it says there in Luke 1, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So that's the context. In fact, glance down at verse 19. It says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to bring you the good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And so as you come here now to 126, and the text says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. It was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And I love this phrase. We might just skip over and say this is an angelic uh, messenger, and it certainly was. But you can see there in 26, it was the angel Gabriel sent by God. You have to realize as you open your Bible to Luke chapter 1 and we read this text, there had been absolutely 400 silent years from God. Nobody 
had heard a word from God in over 400 years. There hadn't even been a miracle in over 400 years. Think about that. If we're in 2012, you go back 400 years, think about what America looked like. Think about it for the nation of Israel that had all the activity of God, the revelation of God in the Old Testament, and then it goes silent with Malachi. And then into the midst of that silence, we have the angel, Gabriel, sent by God. In fact, as you look back in Scripture, there had not been a sequence of miracles in over 500 years. And so God sends a divine messenger, and the messenger is Gabriel. Now look what he sent him to. Look back at the text. It says there, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel uh, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Stop there just for a moment, just to touch on that. He goes to Nazareth. You remember Nathaniel in the other gospel said, can any good thing come out of what? Nazareth. He said, in effect, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, corrupt as Nazareth is? I mean, what a moment. I mean, right here, Grace Church of the Valley, you have the greatest birth announcement ever made in the history of the world. And it is completed through a divine messenger, the angel Gabriel, after 400 years of silence. I mean, think about it just a moment as we walk into this Christmas season. The king of kings, the savior of the world, would call his birthplace Nazareth. To Nazareth, perhaps one of the most corrupt towns in that region, in that time, came Gabriel, the divine messenger, with a divine message from God. Now, you say, well, what, what was Gabriel sent to do? Well, look down at the text again in verse 27. He was sent to that city, verse 27, to a virgin engaged or betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He was sent there to a virgin, it says very clearly, who was engaged to a man. Three times right here in verse 27, it is stated that Mary is a virgin. Mary was pure. I mean, she was obviously, in some respect, you understand that, a very godly woman. Now, remember when, angel, when the angel Gabriel came and was sent here in verse 27 to a virgin engaged, she is probably 14 at the time. 14 years of age. I mean, it's incredible when you really think about how old she was. And you'll note there in the text very clearly, look again, she's engaged or she was betrothed to a man. And in our day, it's actually much more serious in biblical times than our present day engagement. In fact, the, the rabbinical writings, as you go back into the history of the Hebrew culture, they, they kind of had two separate and two stages in a, in a Hebrew uh, marriage. They had the first stage uh, was called the Kiddushin. It was, we would call it engagement. To them, they called it a betrothal period. And if you were in that phase of the Kiddushin, it was legally as binding as marriage. In fact, if any time during the Kiddushin, either of the couple violated the vows 
or was found to be unchaste, a formal divorce was required to nullify the marriage contract. In other words, in this culture, during the Kiddushin, two parties were in every way, in some ways, legally married. They were even during the Kiddushin called husband and wife, but they had no physical relationship whatsoever, and they lived in separate homes. The second stage of a Hebrew uh, marriage was called the hoopah, and it was much like maybe our modern wedding, only a much bigger occasion. But I don't know, maybe some, some Armenian weddings are that big, I don't know. Um, but that was called the hoopah, okay? And it lasted for seven days. Now, Mary, Mary's pregnancy here began during the Kiddushin. She and Joseph had entered into a marriage contract, but they were still separate, if you will, when nine months before that first Christmas, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. He said, well, what did Gabriel say? It's a good question. Look down at the text in verse 28. Imagine this, you're 14. And coming in, he said to her, very important text here, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Interesting, greetings, favored one. Now, this is the scriptures that the Catholics use when they say, quotes, hail Mary, full of grace. In other words, they would say when they say that, that she, Mary, dispenses grace to others. But at least here in this text, Mary clearly is the recipient of divine grace. She is not the dispenser of grace. In other words, when you read the text, God has acted, if you will, on her behalf, not because of her. She doesn't confer favor. She is actually a recipient of favor because the text says the Lord is with you. In other words, God has miraculously bestowed his favor, his grace in a unique measure by choosing her as the mother of his only begotten son. You say, well, how did Mary respond to that? I'm glad you asked. Look at the text in verse 29. She said, it says in verse 29, but she was very perplexed at this statement. Now, stop just for a second. Possibly she's overcome that an angel would come to a very simple, obscure uh, young woman. Again, she might only be around 14 years of age, but I think when it says that she was perplexed, more likely it's the statement that shocks her. In other words, look back at the text in verse 29. It says there that she kept pondering, here's the perplexity, what kind of salutation this was or it it, it was meant to be. But look what the angel said to her. The angel said, verse 30 to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel says to her, you need not fear, and that God regards her as the special object of his favor. God bestowed his grace. He bestowed his favor on her. You say, well, what kind of favor? What did he bestow on her? I'm glad you asked. Look at the text again in verse 31. And it says, and behold, you will conceive 
in your womb and bear a son, incredible, and you shall name him Jesus. So here, follow and track with me, the divine messenger follows then, secondly this morning, with the divine mandates, okay? And in this mandate and in this affirmation, I want you to note some important features of this second principle, the mandate. Look again at verse 31. You shall name him, here, Jesus. In other words, Mary's going to conceive and she's going to bear a son and, and the reason I called it mandate is the angel Gabriel tells her, you shall name him Jesus. In other words, it is mandated that. In other words, and Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. He's Savior. He's Redeemer. And that was to be his name. In fact, you remember, you don't have to turn there, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, where it says that she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. You remember that phrase? For he will what? Save his people from their what? Sins. It's in his very name. In fact, I think this phrase here, name him Jesus, is reminiscent of Isaiah 7.14, that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and you will call his name, there in Isaiah 7.14, Emmanuel. I mean, think about it just for a second. Emmanuel, of course, means what? God with us, right? That the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe would go into the womb of a woman and bear a son. And, and, and just for a moment here, think about that. He grew to Jesus in the womb and was born just like all of us. He kicked his mother in the ribs. He made her short of breath in the last trimester. He gave her awful back pains, no doubt. And once he was born, listen, he was just as dependent on the warmth of Mary's arms, the nourishment of Mary's milk, as any of us. He was weak. He was helpless. He could not walk. He could not crawl. He could not talk. He was as weak as we are. Sin, the only exception. And beloved, we marvel at his deity, and rightfully so. But the real marvel is deity revealed in humanity through his weakness. It's incredible. I mean, this is why Paul could say in 1 Timothy 3.1, Great is the mystery of godliness... And then it says, he was revealed in the flesh. Incredible. And so here's that first statement. You will name him Jesus. But secondly, look what the angel says in verse 32. He will be great. Stop there just for a second. Though he's born in utter humility, he will be great. It's the word that we use in our English language as a prefix in words, the idea of megabucks, we might say, or megawatts, or megastar. And so here the angel says, despite the obscurity of this poor and very young peasant girl from Nazareth, Mary's son will be great. It says in Isaiah that a child will be born unto us, and a son 
will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, what? Counselor, Mighty, what? God, Eternal Father and Prince of, what? Peace. In fact, they read that scripture last night. I'm in, you know where I was? I couldn't believe it. I'm at Disneyland yesterday. You say, well, why would you go to Disneyland? Well, you know, if you can go to Disneyland, you want to go, right? I mean, it's a fun place. But I was there to listen to my daughter sing. She goes to school right here. She goes to Kingsburg High School. And they, they've expanded. Patty, what was it called? Candlelight Christmas? Candlelight Processional. They've only done this, which is incredible that Disney would do this. Usually only two dates. Um, at the first weekend of December, and they never, you know, promoted or anything, but they decided this year to open it up to 20 nights in a row. And I got to tell you, I was blown away. Every single one of the songs, 650 member choir. Kingsburg High School is one of them. There's probably 10 to 12 others. And they were all singing Christmas carols. And then this famous actor, James Edward Almos, is that how you say his name? Oh, yeah, I just... And the story was told. I'm like, that's a good voice, you know. And he's, he's reading Luke 2. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm like, Patty was like four rows down witnessing to two guys who were there. I knew you were witnessing to those guys. And uh, I couldn't believe it. And they're reading the scripture. He read in between worshipful hymns the Christmas story. And this was part of it. And then they even read Isaiah. a son. And I'm just sitting there. This is Disneyland. There's 1,200 people sitting and watching this. And I couldn't believe it. And they read that. A child will be born to us. A son will be given. And here's this is what Gabriel says to, to Mary. I want you, not I want you, you will call him Jesus. It's a, it's a mandate. He will be great. Look again at verse 32. You'll notice why I always refer you back to the text, right? Because it's always about the text, is it not? Look what it says there. He will be great. He will be called the Son. I like this phrase, of the Most High. Okay? Most High is a reference to God's majesty. It is a reference, at least according to Genesis 14, 18, of God's sovereignty. In other words, this child will be the very Son of God. Incredible. I'm thinking of the statements there in Hebrews where the writer says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his, what? Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, speaking of the Son, is the radiance of of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and he upholds all things by the word of his power. What an incredible statement. Call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. That's who he is. Paul writing to the church at Colossae says of Jesus Christ that he is the image. He is the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. In fact, Paul went on to say in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in what? In bodily form. Jesus is uniquely God's son. And to his exalted son, God will give him, look again in verse 32, 
Here's what God will give him. Verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And so even though Jesus was not, how would we say this? The biological son of Joseph. He was the legal son. And his royal right to the Davidic line came by Joseph. So Jesus is the promised king of the Davidic line. And it says there in verse 32 that he will give him the throne. And the throne is a symbol of supreme power in the scripture. That Jesus Christ one day will reign in power over the millennial kingdom as the king. And I'm sitting there last night and I'm sitting with 1,200 people. And I know 90% of them don't get it. But I'm sitting there and I'm praying, Lord, one day they'll all get it. One day they're all going to get it. And on that day, you'll either be in glory with him or you'll be separated with the sheep and the goats into a place of utter destruction. But it made me long for the day when everybody will understand this. Oh, he sits on the throne now and he's reigning in your heart. But one day he will rule over all. And there's that symbol. It's a throne that is given to him. In fact, look at the last phrase in verse 33. I love this. He will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And his kingdom will never come to an end. Or it says there his kingdom will have no end. Stressing the eternal permanence of Christ's rule. Certainly today, our Lord is seated in heaven. We understand that, Acts 2, 29. But one day, at his return, he, make no mistake about it, will establish his kingdom on earth, and this promise will be fulfilled. And it says there at the end of verse 33 that his kingdom will have no end. I mean, human kingdoms, we understand this. All have one thing in common. They, what? They end. But not God's. This is a reference to God's covenant with David and his kingdom promises to Israel. We don't have time to look at it, but in 2 Samuel 7, he says there, I will raise up a descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house, your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Second Samuel 7. So beloved, listen, Mary will have a son. That son will be great. That son will be the son of the most high God to whom God himself gave the throne of his father David and his reign will never come to an end. You say, well, how can that be? I mean, I mean, how could that be? And you know what? That's the same question Mary asked. Look down at the text in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a what? A virgin. And what's fascinating here, again, time limited, she doesn't ask for a sign, as did Zacharias did, remember earlier in the chapter, and he asked for a sign in unbelief, and he went what? He went mute. Well, Zacharias, what are you going to call him? Zacharias, are you going to call him after your family? He couldn't talk. He got silenced because of his unbelief. But you'll note here, she doesn't ask for a sign. She doesn't doubt the faithfulness of Gabriel. She only asks for further information. 
This is not really an expression of doubt, but of overwhelming wonder how it can work. She's speaking now to this divine messenger, and she says, I am a what? Virgin. I don't understand. So Gabriel responds, look down at the text. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Wow, what a, what a statement. In verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. So the divine messenger gives the divine mandate. Thirdly and finally, the divine miracle. Okay? The divine miracle. Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit's creative action before she had any physical relationship with Joseph. Remember, she three times earlier in the text, it said, to the virgin, to the virgin, to the virgin. You said, well, then how did that happen? Look down in the text again in 35. It says there that the power... It says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, this overshadowing is not elucidated in terms of biology. The the conception of this baby in the womb of Mary clearly is the divine act of creation. This phrase, the Most High shall overshadow overshadow you is a title for God. It's a title that speaks that he is sovereign ruler, that it is the power of the Most High. So the best way to say this would be that the normal process of the union of the sperm and the ovum is bypassed, and this child is conceived by the power of of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's interesting that that phrasing is used in Genesis. Certainly, you remember when it says that the earth was formless and what? Void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And it says there that the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. And that moving over the Spirit, of the Spirit over the deep, was kind of that pulsating beginning of the universe. So that same spirit overshadowed a peasant girl to conceive the Son of God. And so the agent of creation is now the agent of creation in the womb. In fact, Matthew just says it this clearly, that she, Matthew 1.18, was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And it was the angels, uh, angel in Matthew's gospel who spoke with Joseph, a little different, right? And there the angel said to Joseph, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the miraculous, what? Conception. It's miraculous. Now, you can go pick up the New York Times a few years ago 
you'd find a man in there, a writer by the name of Nicholas Kristof, and he pointed to the belief of the virgin birth as evidence that conservative Christians are, in his words, less intellectual. And Kristof argued that biblical scholars regard the evidence for the virgin birth, here's what he said, quote, as so shaky that it pretty much, he said, has to be, quote, a leap of faith. That's what he said, and that's what some liberals think, heretics by the name of John Spong. Um, Some of you are aware of his writing. Spong argues that the doctrine was the evidence of the early church's overclaiming of Christ's deity. And what Spong said in his writing was that this, speaking of the virgin birth, is the entrance myth to go with the resurrection, the exit myth. And Spong says that the virgin birth, quote, was never intended to be taken literally, but to inspire faith. He says that it is written, quote, to inspire and create awe and wonder. But in a quote, what he's saying is it really doesn't matter if you believe it. It's just meant to create awe and wonder. It really didn't matter in other writings that Jesus rose from the dead. But hey, what a nice story. However, listen, Grace Church, if you do not hold to the virgin birth, despite the fact that the Bible clearly asserts it, then we have compromised the authority, the integrity of the Scripture, and then there is no principal reason whatsoever that we should hold to its other teachings. Listen, to reject the virgin birth is to reject our Lord's deity and to undermine the very essence of Christianity. I mean, I wish I could have said that up at that golden throne that James Edwards Matthew, how do you say his last name? Oh, I got them all back. That's Dick Select. No, I just missed his name. I wish I could have said that last night. Listen, the father of the baby is the Holy Spirit. This is a direct act of God. The Holy Spirit causing the miraculous conception. In fact, look down at your text down at at the end of verse 35. For that reason, the holy child, the very reason that we're speaking of, shall be called the Son of God. And to strengthen Mary's faith, look what Gabriel declares in verse 36, where he says, And behold, he says, Even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her age, and who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. What a statement. What a statement. And uh, what a statement here that we find in the Scripture, that God can do whatever He wants to do, can He not? For nothing will be impossible to God. Here is the woman, Mary, 13, 14 years of age maybe, being overshadowed, conceived in the Holy Spirit, if you will, by the presence and the agency of, the, of God Himself through his spirit. Here is Elizabeth's barren womb now open to give birth to John the Baptist who would become the forerunner. And listen, nothing is impossible with God. But would you note the last verse, maybe the most precious of them all, at least in truthfulness to the virgin birth, but as I mentioned, our response to it. And Mary said, look at it, follow with me in 38. Behold, 
the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done according to me, or be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You say, what do you, what do you see in that response? Just think about it. Just stop there for one second. Here is, she's 14, let's just say. Total submission to God's will. Instant obedience to God's will. There's no doubt. There's no shame. There's no anxiousness. There's no fear. Rather, we find obedient trust in the angel's word. Think about the ramifications of that. Those of you who are people pleasers, what will they think? I mean, I'm in the Kiddushin period here with Joseph, and I've never had a relationship, and I've got, but you don't, you don't find that. I, I, I mean, wonder and marvel at 38. Look, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Her response is one of total submission. In fact, glance down in chapter 1. Look at verse 46. She said, did Mary, that my soul, what? Exalts the Lord. In fact, back up to verse 45. Blessed is she, this classic statement, who believed that there would be a fulfillment in what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And so she says, be it done to me according to your word. You say, well, what happened? Look at the text, the last phrase. And the angel, what? Departed. Mission accomplished. I mean, what do we say to this teaching here? Well, he is the divine son of God, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I would add this that our response, your response, should be one of total submission and surrender to his will. I mean, I'm asking you as we come into communion in just a moment, could, right now, you say with Mary, be it done to me according to your word. And I'm asking, do you manifest Absolute trust right now. Absolute surrender right now. Absolute submission to the will of God in every facet of your life right now. Can you say that about your marriage? Can you say that about your schooling? Be it done to me according to your word. Can you say that about your relationships? Be it done to me according to your word. Can you say that about your business? Be it done to me according to your word. Can you say it about his church, our church? Be it done according to his word. Can you say it about your ministry? Be it done according to your word. Or do you have a different agenda? Do I have a different agenda? Here was submission to the will of God in every aspect of her life. Listen, Mary belonged totally to the Lord. Body, 138. Soul, 146. And spirit, 147. So here are three 
characteristics of, angel, the, of Gabriel's declaration, but really it demands a response from us. Our response should be that of Mary's. I like how one writer said it. She experienced the grace of God, believed in the word of God, Therefore, she could be used by the Spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. And so I'm asking you as we come to the Lord's table, just right now, just us, not anybody else, not mom, not dad, not, not boyfriend, not girlfriend, not, I just, I'm asking, have you, why, why preach on this if this isn't the point? Have you surrendered your talents? Have you surrendered your possessions? Have you surrendered your ministry, your relationships, your reputation? Have you surrendered every facet of your life to his revealed word? And maybe I should ask you, are you, are you a bond slave of the Lord? And one put it this way. Regardless of whether he calls you to serve him in ways that seem menial or insignificant, hidden or visible, beneath your skills or light years beyond your abilities, routine or exciting, common or unimaginable, whatever he asks, wherever he sends, the surrendered heart will say with Mary of Nazareth, I am the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to to your word. I did a funeral yesterday for a very dear saint at Placerita Baptist Church. She's a unique saint, probably one of the most unique women maybe that I know because for eight years of my ministry at Placerita Baptist Church, I saw her about two or three times. That's it. I said, well, Scott, how did you know her? I knew her. Because she was dear to our flock. Because we helped her and her husband. She suffered greatly. Suffered greatly. I said yesterday at the memorial service that I do not know of one woman in in my life that I think has ever suffered for a longer, protracted period of time than this woman. Began 32 years ago when a surgeon nicked an artery in her foot. And one surgery led to another surgery, which botched another surgery. And then this surgery, then this happened, then this medication happened. Listen, they didn't say yesterday, but I know she's told me she's had over 40 surgeries. Need a maze. And ever since she got married, she's been sick. And ever since she's got married, she started losing her eyesight because of the medication. She's been in a wheelchair part of the time. And here her precious husband is taking care of her. But I'll tell you this. That woman prayed. That's what I wanted to tell you. Like no woman that I knew. She prayed. You say, well, why'd she pray? Because she couldn't do anything else. She couldn't go anywhere else. She had a beautiful operatic voice, was a gifted Bible teacher, and it was all taken from her to the point where she was so outgoing and so gave her life to ministry, she couldn't do it anymore, and she became a woman of prayer. And I'll never forget her. Because there were mornings, this is what would happen, and I'm probably going too long. There were mornings that, that sometimes as a preacher, you just can't, it's just hard to get going. You say, do you feel like that all the time? No. 
I don't. Sometimes it's an absolute joy to preach, but there's sometimes you just, you think, Lord, I can't do this. I can't, I don't have the strength today. And where I was, I was preaching four times, just like this today. And it was a joy, but there would be times that you'd wake up and you just didn't want to go. You didn't know if you had it in you to go. And one particular morning, I just woke up. I was under a cloud. I thought, God, I cannot do this today. And I don't know if it was Satan bugging me. I don't know if I just wasn't filled with the Spirit. I don't know if I just had a bad pizza the night before, you know. But I just thought, I can't do it. Lord, Lord. And you just get up and you just cry out, Lord, I don't want to do this. And, And I... You just, what popped into my mind is, Scott, you preach the word in season and what? Out of season. You preach it when you feel like it. You preach it when you don't feel up. Get up, little boy. You have to start talking to yourself. So I get up and I, I go and preach. And, and, and God always does this in an unusual way. Blessed it. Probably because I was more dependent on him, right? He just used the day. Then when I got back, I thought, Lord, thank you. So I'm back after three morning services, back getting ready for the fourth service at night. My phone rings, and it's, it's Nita Mays, set under the teaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones as a young teenager in London, which I said, you knew the doctor? Oh, yes, I knew the doctor. She was from Wales. She, she, I knew the doctor. I said, wait, you knew the doctor? Yes, he would call me into his tea room because he was friends with her family. I'm like, you knew the doctor? And so I, I developed this friendship with her even though she never came. So she says to me that day, oh, Pastor Scott, I was on my knees for you this morning. And she says, I don't know why, but I just, I just had to cry out to God for you, for the service today. Pastor Scott, how you doing? Now, how does she know that? She's just a praying woman. And she's praying for me. And she made an incredible impact on me, though everything else was stripped away. And maybe you've had some things stripped away, but you're useful. And I just want to say, as we come to the Lord's table, are you like Mary today? Men, women in in heart, Lord, be it done to me according to your word. I hope so. 